year ago, these uh, cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? So what are you proposing? It's simple. Kill the Batman. <laughs> Here's my card. Bruce, this is Harvey Dent. Rachel's told me everything about you. I certainly hope not. You once told me that we'd be together. Did you mean it? Bruce, don't make me your only hope for a normal life. You're Alfred, right? That's right, sir. Any psychotic ex-boyfriends I should be aware of? Oh, you have no idea. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Well, hello, beautiful. You look nervous. I've seen now what I have to become to stop men like him. The night is darkest just before the dawn. I promise you, the dawn is coming. And here we go. This city deserves a better class of criminal. I'm gonna give it to him. No! <laughs> You'll see. I'll show you. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. in the back puncher? In the middle of the day, Alfred. Not very subtle. The Lamborghini, then. Much more subtle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Palace Off the Top Rope. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen, and on deck for today's special episode. I'm going to be talking about and celebrating the 15-year anniversary of one of the greatest, I think in its genre for comic book films, but I just think, in my opinion, one of the greatest films ever made, that being Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Um... And how fitting that we're celebrating the 15-year anniversary this year as we are on the verge of Christopher Nolan's next great film, Oppenheimer. At least that's what the early word is. We'll see. I'm going to check it out this weekend in 70mm film. Um, that's coming out, so a lot to celebrate as far as Christopher Nolan, but we have to go back to really what put him on the map, which was this movie. Uh, I want to break down everything, you know, stuff that I've loved about the movie, stuff that has aged well. There's some stuff in this movie that hasn't aged quite right, but overall I think this movie still holds up um, as just being one of the absolute staples of pop culture, and it is something that is still being chased by a lot of franchises and just a lot of filmmakers and in general and they're still trying to capture the magic that Christopher Nolan did with this film back in 2008. Um I'll talk about favorite scenes, you know, uh 
where I was at the time when this came out, it was just such a phenomenon. There's just so there was so much stuff happening. The viral marketing going into it, the the marketing that we did uh, with me being at a movie theater. There was a lot of stuff that we did in the lead up to this movie, and just some of that stuff that is just would be bonkers to try to do today with how much society has changed and pop culture has changed so quickly. Just in the last couple of years, things have changed so much, but the fact that this one still holds up and it's still like the, at the epicenter, it's still like the one everybody chases kind of like the Godfather part two. Like if you're going to make sequels to your movies, like you want to aspire to be the Godfather part two. And now in modern times, the dark Knight. um, and then towards the end, I wanted to do a little bit of voice acting. Um, this is one of those movies where I can really, when I'm watching it, I can recite like everybody's lines, not just Batman, my favorite comic book character and which is one of my favorite characters ever, but I can recite everybody's lines in that movie. And as I was watching it earlier today, I just catch myself and I just start going with the flow of the movie. I've seen it so many times and it was just, it came at such a perfect time in my life. I was like right in my early 20s. So like I just absolutely became obsessed with this movie. It became my identity for a little bit. And now in the 15 years that it's passed, you know, and my film spectrum has broadened more. Um, obviously there, there are more movies that I hold above this one, but if you, met me or knew me or worked with me in 2008 that was like my life man like i would quote it i would live by it you know the whole batman mythos and everything that he stood for in in the iteration that christopher nolan gave was like i was all about that and i'm still all about it you know it's still a film that i hold in very high regard and i tell people like there's just in all these comic book movies that have come and gone over you know, the last decade or so, like nothing has come close to matching the energy that this film brought and that it still brings 15 years later. But we'll get into all that. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll get into all the fun stuff of The Dark Knight and talk about its uh, its legacy and where it stands right now in pop culture. This is Palace Off the Top Rope. We'll be right back. This city deserves a better class of criminal. I'm gonna give it to him. This summer, out of the darkness, comes the night. Perhaps you should read the instructions first. The Dark Knight. He does that. With a PG-13. Welcome back to the show. We're celebrating the 15-year anniversary of The Dark Knight here in Palace Off the Top Rope. Um, I feel like we should go into the past first before we talk about where we are in the present with this movie. So how did we get here? We'd have to go back to 2005 when Christopher Nolan and Warner Brothers trusted him with relaunching the Batman franchise, or reboot as they say in Hollywood. And for better or worse, uh, in terms of where we are now in Hollywood, um, Nolan did it. He pulled it off. But what a lot of studios and a lot of filmmakers haven't learned from that is how to do these things right. Because we've seen a lot of stuff rebooted over the years. All these different franchises that have been brought to life saying like, oh, I can give my vision and we can do it better. And just no complete thought went into it. And we've seen a lot of failures over the years. So while, yes, we were able to get this great iteration of Batman on film, I think in terms of where we are today in Hollywood, it was kind of like for for the worse. 
Uh, and movies have been remade over the years, but it really wasn't until like a big time franchise IP character like Batman where they were like, whoa, we're going to go back to the well and start over again. Like, are people even going to buy this? Because in the 90s when the Batman movies were coming out and, you know, I vaguely remember seeing these in the theaters. My love of Batman really came from like the cartoons, the comic books. And then the movies themselves, but those were more on the home video side of things where I rewatched a lot of these at home. Like, so my theater experience them wasn't really, I don't really have much memory of that. So the Nolan Batman movies, like the first one, Batman Begins, I remember where I was in 2005, I was on a uh, summer vacation trip. It was a graduation gift. I was up in New Jersey of, with, up with my relatives up there and they took me and my friends to go see it on IMAX on opening night. I was like, I had to be there for it. And when, when I saw it and I remember when I came out of it, I was just like, this is just unlike anything I had ever seen before in a Batman movie where it was like, wow, like these movies could be really good. But again, it was just like, the beginning of the surface, right? Like we hadn't even scratched on where we were about to go next. So Nolan does that in 2005, right? And the movie is like a modest success. It wasn't like the biggest movie of that year, even that summer. Um, I think Star Wars Episode Three had come out that year and that was like a bigger movie. But it was a, a really good soft relaunch of the Batman franchise. It was critically, you know, adored. I remember Roger Ebert's review of it and saying how this was the first Batman movie to really get things right. And I feel like the ship had been course corrected, right? Because, you know, we all know how things have been left off with Batman and Robin in 1997. And I like that movie for all the stupid silliness that it is. But I know I can recognize that it's a bad movie. Um, and yeah, Batman had become just really a silly figure in pop culture. And we were already coming into the 2000s with stuff like X-Men and uh, Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. And those were kind of like little bit turning the tide, but they were still considered like, you know, in that comic booky world, like, do we really take these movies like that serious? But when Batman Begins came out, you started to see the tides turn just a little bit where it's like, whoa, these could be like a little bit more. And then we come to the lead up of The Dark Knight in 2008. So this is about the time when internet really started to become a huge thing. So I remember seeing all the behind the scenes stuff for this. Not like too much like when the Dark Knight Rises were like everything was out there. But there was like stuff here and there, you know. I, I was mainly more interested on what where they were going to take the story. Um, obviously, they teased the Joker at the end of Batman Begins. And as Christopher Nolan has stated many, many times, um, it was never his intent that like he was going to do a direct sequel. It was kind of just like... He told his story of how Batman became Batman and then, you know, the tease of the Joker is just like, you know, into like the mythos of what has come in the Batman stories. You know, the Joker is legitimately one of the biggest rogues in the history of not only just comic books, but just in, in film, right? Like we saw Jack Nicholson, so we know like that's like, such an iconic figure and he left it at that. But the movie would just became such a bigger hit, like on home video and DVD and all that stuff, and it just grew and grew and grew. Obviously, Warner Brothers greenlit the sequel. Um, so I'm like, okay, like, well, that's probably what they're going to do next, right? The Joker, like, that just has to be it. And it, and in my mind, I was like, well, if they're going to do that, like, how are they going to top, you know, Jack Nicholson? You know, uh, that performance to this day, like, still frightens me to the core. Like, there's like really good scenes with Jack Nicholson that just can never be top in terms of like creepiness um but i was like man okay cool 
So when they announced like the casting for this, you know, obviously Christian Bale is going to come back, Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman, and then they announced uh, Heath Ledger was going to play the Joker. And I've always been, even like in my young young age at the time when I was reading up on all this stuff, I believe I was like in my twenties already. Um, I saw Heath Ledger and I was like, oh, cool, what an interesting choice. Like I I know he's a good actor. I'd seen him in some stuff. Uh, probably most famous for me, two things would be like Ten Things I Hate About You. And then uh, the Patriot; those were the things like that I watched probably the most of him in it. So I'm like, okay, cool. And I knew there's always been like backlash for like fan casting. Like this isn't a new thing that's been like you know, you know, with Ben Affleck getting recasted as Batman and backlash and all that stuff. Uh, that's happened before. It happened in 1989 with Michael Keaton. People didn't think he could play Batman, and you know, he proved everybody wrong. Uh, but during my time and growing up, this was my first time seeing, like, in real time, like, the backlash of uh, people not liking a casting decision. And I remember everybody hating this idea of Heath Ledger playing the Joker. Um, and they were just like, oh, he doesn't, you know, look the part or, you know, whatever it is. And I heard all, saw and read all these different things about him. And I, in my head, I was just like, well, let's see how he does first. Like we're, we're prejudging this before we even see what the art is. And, and I still have this mindset till today. Like, I don't care who, who it is that they cast in the role. Like I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and see if they're able to give a good performance. Now, does everybody who's ever been casted in the history of movies do all the roles work out? And, you know, you could say like, Oh, they could have put somebody else in that role. Like, yeah, nobody, nobody's perfect, but just, you know, don't judge the art before you see it. So we get into the other viral marketing aspect of it. You know, we found out Harvey Dent's going to be in the movie, played by Aaron Eckhart. And, of course, all the speculation, well, that means Two-Face is going to be in the movie. So we saw, you know, marketing coming out for Harvey Dent and running for district attorney in Gotham. And there was these great, you know, viral videos of him and Aaron Eckhart actually participating in a lot of this viral marketing. So it's just like, man, in this coming of age of the Internet and all that stuff, like we had never really seen marketing like this for a big major Hollywood movie. You know, we'd seen the tie-ins, you know, to food chains and restaurants and, you know, the toys and all that stuff, but really nothing like on the internet level where stuff where really could just be easily accessible and then right there at the moment. So that was huge for The Dark Knight. Um, so a fever pitch, right, is building for this movie and the hype is growing, the hype is growing. Um, and then we get to December. Actually, we get to a year before the movie releases. That's when I, I started working at a movie theater in San Antonio in about March of 2007. So around July, when the Simpsons movie was coming out, the first teaser for that movie came out. And it was just really quick. It was like about a minute long. And you had the the Batman logo like in the darkness, in the shadows, right? And you got light bursting out of it. And you hear in the background Michael Caine and Christian Bale as Alfred and Bruce Wayne. And they're just like talking, right? It's like a scene from the movie, but you're not seeing them. You're just hearing the audio of the scene. And... It's like, what are they, like, what are they discussing? They're obviously, they're talking about the Joker, but it's like, in a more, like, in a way that you didn't think these movies would be, like, discussing a topic like this in the actual movie. And then at the end, we get the reveal of Heath Ledger's Joker, of course, in audio form. And then he lets out, like, this gigantic, like, just sadistic laugh. And it was just very haunting. And I was like, okay, this is, this could be special, right? And everybody that was judging already, like, he's not going to be good as a Joker. This is the worst actor they could have picked. Uh, you know, the, the, 
the silence started to go down just a little bit as far as like the hating on the Heath Ledger casting. And then we get to December for the first trailer of the movie and we got our first look at what Heath Ledger was going to look like as a Joker. And it was like, okay, it works for this version of Batman that Christopher Nolan, uh, this Batman story that Christopher Nolan is trying to tell. So it works. It's a little bit more grounded and it looks like in the same tone as Batman Begins. But again, also like the movie just looks, it looks, we don't know what it's going to be yet. So to me, I'm just excited because it's another Batman movie that we're going to get. And I'm going to be able to be a part of that as in working at a movie theater. So I'm just like amped up by like a hundred. Um, but it wasn't until I saw um, the prologue in IMAX. And what the prologue was, was like the first six minutes of the actual movie. Now, this was only going to be playing on IMAX theaters and in the prints for I Am Legend on the IMAX screen. So I remember seeing that in the first six minutes was just like, and of course... Uh, this was the first time that a major Hollywood film was going to be using IMAX cameras in, in for sequences, not for the whole movie. Because, and now you see Nolan does like IMAX uh, for the entire run of his movies, but this was the first time, so you only got it in little bit, bits and pieces. And for the most part, it was during action sequences. So when you're watching the first six minutes of this uh, in December for the first time ever, you're like, whoa! Like visually, this is like some shit that we have never seen before and it looks just so grand and so just gigantic like i had never seen anything like this before and again in my mind i'm like this feels different like we don't know yet if the movie's going to be good but it definitely feels different than anything we've ever seen before and then of course they give you a couple of little clips at the end of imax scenes that they shot and again it just Again, it just looked so mind-blowing and just we had never seen a movie like this on this scale before. So, again, it just got me super hyped for it. We get to January and obviously the untimely death of Heath Ledger. And, of course, all the questions start to come from the media and the Internet. Like, well, damn, does this mean, like, was the movie actually done filming? Did Heath Ledger finish his part as the Joker? What does this mean for the release of The Dark Knight? It's one of the most anticipated movies ever. Um, what's going to happen? Me, all I kept thinking about, I was like, well, damn, like, we just lost a really good actor in Heath Ledger. You know, he was super young. He had a l- young daughter. Like, that fucking sucks. You know, it, I was more about that than the actual movie. I don't give a damn if it was finished or not. Whatever. You know, a man lost his life. So there was that that just factored into the fever pitch and the bill for this, along with like the viral marketing campaign. Um, we get to the stuff that we were doing for for our theater. Um, I was an assistant manager at the time, so I was more about like the operations and what was going on on the actual floor with the employees, not really so much on the business side of things, like where I am now, where I'm tracking like how movies are doing and what's trending up, what's trending down, like what should we be looking forward to, like what's what's going to make us like a good amount of money. So I don't remember quite what the dark knight ticket sales were but um i do remember everybody at work being like super excited for it we were going to run it for 72 hours we were going to be open you know just the entire weekend we were never going to close um and as far as i know like that was something that was never done before ever um so i was super excited about that you know we were going to leave our parking completely to to customers like the employees were going to have to park far and away from our building like we were just anticipating like i guess then i guess the ticket sales were then probably awesome but i was just thinking about like how busy it was going to be um so yeah it was just little things like that and just little things that we did also um our building is like 
it's very Greek looking, so it doesn't look like your typical movie theater. Like if you drive by it, you would never think that that's a movie theater. But on the side of it, we have our giant IMAX logo because we do have an IMAX theater. And I remember they painted on, I forgot if it was like weeks before, or like a month before, the uh, Dark Knight uh, Joker logo, which was basically the the two dark eyes in the circles, and then of course like the Joker lips, but which is basically the the bat logo in red, and it makes it look like the Joker's face. So that was a a, a great piece of marketing, and I posted it on my socials like so many times. Um, maybe I'll post it as the uh, logo for this podcast. Probably not, but you know we did cool stuff like that other stuff that i can't really talk about because it would be very questionable if something like that were done today uh we'll just say the police were involved but it was all meant to be like a gag for the dark knight and just like the type of realistic story that nolan was going to give us in this version with the joker and it just it looked more like down to earth as more than like fantastical and and, uh, not as um you know hyped up and over the top like Jack Nicholson was in Batman 89 it was just going to be a completely different Joker and then we finally get to the movie right in July um and we're going to screen it right we're going to we're going to watch it in IMAX and I remember the movie arriving like weeks before right it came like in 10 boxes of reels and I was just like man I'd never seen that before and this was a time where stuff wasn't all digital yet so we were still kind of film everywhere we were digital in a little bit of places but um, you know, we were still having like reels come in. Like I remember Iron Man was built as film still. And even like in the, uh, the post credit scene that just, you know, just destroyed the lives for, for movie theater workers like, for all time now. I remember that scene was in a locked reel. You know, they built up the movie and that post credit scene was locked and it couldn't be attached to the actual movie until it was released. So that's how they kept it secret from everybody. You know, not spoiling it and showing up on the internet or anything like that. But yeah, I remember the Dark Knight showing up in so many boxes of reels, and I was like, "This is all just for one movie." And it took them a while to build it too. And then we screened it in the IMAX theater, and I remember again, I can remember this like it was just yesterday. Like that was the fastest I've ever seen an auditorium filled up with so many employees from our company because everybody wanted to see it. And uh, luckily, I had secured my seats for me and my my buddies at the time. You know, really, really good seats because you know we were just over the top ready for this. And we're watching it, and you know, of course, we were already used to the first six minutes because I rewatched any chance I could when I was working. I was watching that prologue that we were showing in December, and I was just like, just getting immersed in what we were watching visually. And we're watching this movie, and I'm just like, man, this is just like. Unlike anything I've ever seen, from a visual standpoint, like everything still holds up. I was watching it earlier today on my 75-inch screen TV, and the visuals are still, they still just wow me. Like my jaw was on the floor when I was watching this for the first time throughout the entire movie. But I remember the first time, and this is the scene, I'll play it for you right now in just a bit, where I was like, this is going deeper than just being a comic book movie like this movie is really trying to say something it's trying to be more it's trying to transcend the genre so here's the scene i'm going to set it up for you it's basically it's michael kane and 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 christian bale as alfred and bruce wayne and they're talking about like the dichotomy of of the joker and alfred is just giving this example of, of his time in burma i believe it what it was and again it's just like this kind of deep talk in a comic book 
big studio blockbuster movie. And it's like, I had never seen anything like this. So when this scene came out for the first time when I'm watching, I'm like, this is, this is gonna change everything. Here's the scene. Targeting me won't get their money back. I knew the mob wouldn't go down without a fight, but this is different. They've crossed the line. You crossed the line first, so you squeezed them, you hammered them to the point of desperation. And in their desperation, they turned to a man they didn't fully understand. Criminals aren't complicated, Alfred. We just need to figure out what he's after. With respect, Master Wayne, perhaps this is a man you don't fully understand either. A long time ago, I was in Burma. My friends and I were working for the local government. They were trying to buy the loyalty of tribal leaders by bribing them with precious stones. But their caravans were being raided in a forest north of Rangoon by a bandit. So we went looking for the stones. But in six months, we never met anyone who traded with him. One day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. So why steal them? Well, because he thought it was good sport. Because some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. So when that scene ends, I was like, man, this is like really fucking grim. <laughs> like this is a Batman movie. We are long far from the days of Jim Carrey as the Riddler and Mr. Freeze, Arnold Schwarzenegger with his ice puns. Like we're far beyond that now. This is something completely different. This movie has something to say and it's a big studio movie. And, and not that big studio movies haven't really had something to say before, but I'm talking specifically in this genre. Like, where it's beyond like the capes and the cowls and like the Joker makeup. Like this is really trying to say something about the world. So that's one thing that still sets apart the Dark Knight from any other comic book movie that has come uh after. Like yes, there there are some that have tried and some that have come close. Like you think about Captain America the Winter Soldier. Um even like the first Iron Man, a little bit of the the politics in that movie, but not to the level of the Dark Knight where you could literally remove Batman and the Joker and you can place like a cop and a bank robber a la Heat, which this movie is based off of another one of my all-time favorite movies. And you get the same movie, but Nolan was trying to tell this kind of story with these characters to a wider audience where it was just going to resonate different and it hit and it hit on all the right beats. Um, so yeah, so we're continuing to watch this movie unfold and I'm like, okay, this is just completely different. Like this is just, it's even far beyond what Batman Begins was doing. Like that one, if you look in the trilogy of the Nolan movies, uh, for Batman, Batman Begins is the most Batman movie. The Dark Knight is just like, you can watch it on its own without ever having to see the first or the next, the movie that followed after that, The Dark Knight Rises. You can watch this alone because it's so singular, even though it's a sequel and it's the middle of a trilogy. It's such a singular movie. Like, that's what sets it apart and that's what makes it on such a grand level. Uh, and this is what you should aspire to whenever you're making your part twos. So that's why it's still like the, the bar in terms of sequels for today's 21st century movies. Like, everybody's still reaching that. You look at, you know, J the James Bond movies. 
I believe they achieved this with Skyfall in 2012 where they were like, it's like the Dark Knight of the series. Or as I just mentioned earlier, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, in the Marvel movies, they were like, this is like the Dark Knight of their universe. Um, that's the gold standard, right? The Dark Knight. Everybody still uses that to this day. This is the Dark Knight of that. When you've reached that level on a pop culture basis, like you know your movie has had that big of an impact and that's why it's important that's why we're still talking about it 15 years later so by the time my screening was over and i had seen this for the first time i was just like this is the greatest fucking movie ever made now of course today in 2023 i don't believe that but to me it's still to me like the most important movie of the 21st century and the and the MVPs, you know, Christopher Nolan, uh, along with Robert Downey Jr., because these two have been kind of like been the driving force of where we are today as a society with films. You know, you, we got the Marvel Cinematic Universe that has been dominant for so long. And then Nolan for just pushing like, you know, the reboot and just transcending what this genre is without the Dark Knight. You don't take stuff like Avengers Endgame seriously, because even though that's in a more fantasy based world, like at the end of the day it's a freaking it's about a purple alien get collecting rocks to you know destroy the world like it's so like fantastical and so like you know science fictiony and and galaxy and space and all that stuff but you take it serious and you put it on that type of gravitas epic scale because you were able to consume the dark knight and the dark knight made you believe in the, taking these movies on a more serious level. That's like the legacy of the Dark Knight. Um, but yeah, I mean, opened back in its day on July 18th to about 150 million, which, which was like the biggest opening of all time, uh, during, during that, uh, that era. Now, you know, we've seen movies break, like even Avengers Endgame, what was it? Like 300 million opening weekend, like it's just astronomical that the numbers are now for opening weekend. But during that time when the Dark Knight came out, it was the biggest thing ever. It was the hardest movie to get into. And I know because I worked there, every IMAX show from start to finish was sold out for weeks. I remember I myself couldn't even get in for repeat viewings for a very long time. And if I did, I had to show up very early and wait in line. I believe I saw this movie while we had it in the theaters for about like seven or eight times in the theater. And then, of course, when it came out, on blu-ray i believe in that that december this was like time where we still had to wait months out before you could own it as a physical copy i remember going to walmart and being like the first in line to buy uh the dark knight on blu-ray so just this movie just had incredible impact on me and uh just on society and pop culture in general and it, it obviously brought an academy award post humusly Homelessly, I, f I forgot what the term is. Uh, I'm sorry if, I, if I'm saying that wrong, but Heath Ledger won Best Supporting Actor for this role. And I just put this movie on a whole other level. It didn't get nominated for Best Picture. A lot of people were upset about this. And that's another thing that has kind of like impacted the legacy and how big this movie is. So obviously in the early years of the Oscars, they, they used to have like long list of Best Picture nominations. Um, but for the most part, like probably... In most of its run, the Oscars have five nominees for Best Picture. Well, that all changed again after The Dark Knight came out. So the year, a year later, they opened up the nominations back to like nine or ten where you, you can nominate that. So had that been the case for the year The Dark Knight came out, it definitely would have been nominated for Best Picture. Now, would it have won? I don't know. 
but it definitely had all the momentum for it. It was critically beloved. It had all the box office numbers. It was just a such a phenomenon. It was everywhere. Like you couldn't go anywhere without talking about this movie. So who knows? But again, that's the impact that this movie had. Um, the Oscars have never been the same since, and we've seen many comic book movies get nominated for Best Picture now, and we can thank The Dark Knight for that. And there's, you know, a lot of haters out there that don't think that this movie is on the level that it should be. And that's fine, they're entitled to their opinion, but they can't deny the, the impact that it's had on a society and on just culture in general, pop culture, to be more specific, uh, the impact that it's had. And, and it's true, like, that's fact. Like, the nominations for the Oscars for Best Picture opened up because The Dark Knight didn't make the list for that year. It changed because of that movie. Like, that's just fact. Um, a lot of great things just about The Dark Knight. I mean, I could go on forever about this movie. Um, let's take a quick break, uh, and then we'll wrap it up, and I'll talk a little bit more about where we are with this movie right now. And, um... Uh, Again, I'm going to do a little bit of voice acting, and I'll, I'll reenact one of the scenes uh, from the third act of the film. This is Palace Off the Top Rope, 15 Years of the Dark Knight. We'll be right back. It's a funny world we live in. July 18th. Here tonight's entertainment. Avenge evil. Where is he? And not become it. It's all part of the plan. <laughs> the Dark Knight. Witty PG-13 in theaters and IMAX July 18th. Welcome back to the show. Um, had to talk about a couple of little things before we get to my voiceover reenactment scene that I want to do. Um, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the pod, uh, some of the stuff that hasn't aged quite well with this movie. It's not really so much that it hasn't aged well, but it's just stuff that like people don't it's what they don't like about this movie and they kind of use it as a way to like deflect that it's not good and it, and it's more about the politics of the movie again this came like post 9/11 so there's stuff in this movie about like using technology to spy on certain aspects where you can track people's phones and all that stuff and again very more real world and patriot act kind of stuff so some of that stuff doesn't hit well with certain people and they use it as a way to discredit it. And while some of it is a little bit real world, um, at the end of the day, it's just a movie. So take that for what it is. That's what I meant for in terms of like stuff that hasn't quite aged well with certain members of the audience and all that stuff. Um, favorite scenes of the movie. Gosh, there's so many, right? I can quote so many. Um, but personal favorites, obviously, I'm always about like the hero and the villain sitting down and discussing and talking so obviously one of my favorite scenes is when they do capture the joker and they have that sit down in the in the cell or the holding room and it's batman and joker and they're just there's no physicality until until the end but before it's just a conversation where they're talking about their philosophies and all that stuff and again it's just very michael mann heat pacino de niro sitting down having coffee kind of thing i always get a kick out of those kind of scenes not everything has to be grand but there is a lot of grand in this movie and it goes without saying like the entire chase sequence in the middle of the movie where harvey dent is uh getting arrested and the joker's trying to take him down and batman is on the tail of the joker and all that stuff and a lot of that was in the marketing and made you believe it was like the end of the movie like the climax but really it's just like the middle part of the movie which is just 
brilliant on the part of Warner Brothers to market it that way and not give you everything. Nowadays, like, you get everything thrown to you in the trailers and you're really not left to enjoy much in the theater. So when we saw this uh, for the first time and we see that that comes, like, in the hour point of the movie or something like that, hour, hour 15, I'm like, wait a minute, there's still, like, a whole, like, hour of this movie to go and you're telling me this is happening now? This is great. Like, what's going to happen in the third act? So... That that's great, but that's another one of my favorite scenes. Um, obviously, anything with Heath Ledger in that movie is just incredible. But really, a lot of the small stuff and more. There's more Batman in this than Bruce Wayne, as Batman Begins and Dark Knight Rises are more about Bruce Wayne. But in the little parts that we do get of Bruce Wayne in this movie, like the clip that I showed you earlier with him and Alfred discussing like the philosophy of the Joker and all that stuff, just those little small scenes I love so much and they add so much weight to this movie where it could have really have just been a I mean everything's a popcorn movie but just really could have been just uh kind of very bland and this gave us a lot of gray to work with and a lot to think about um so one of my favorite scenes to reenact is in the final act of the movie when Batman finally catches a Joker up in that building tower and hangs him up upside down. Now, I was obsessed with learning the Heath Ledger Joker voice. So it was something, again, if you worked with me in 2008 or knew me around that time, I used a lot of that voice and tried to just emulate it because it was just such a powerful performance. And it's still something that's being copied today. Even, you know, Jarrett Leto's Joker took a lot of that. And anybody that does any over-the-top performance, a la like a Johnny Depp, as Jack Sparrow and now Heath Ledger as a Joker. It's still being emulated today, so it's just a very iconic, very memorable performance. But here's my voice reenactment scene for uh, my favorite part. We'll, you, let's see if you can catch the scene. Here we go. Ah, <clears throat> uh, you. You just couldn't let me go, could you? See, this is what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object you truly are incorruptible aren't you huh you won't kill me out of some misplaced sense of self-righteousness and i won't kill you because you're just too much fun i think you and i are destined to do this forever you'll be in a padded cell forever Maybe we could share one. You know, at this rate, they'll be doubling up the city's inhabitants are losing their minds. This city just showed you that it is full of people ready to believe in good until their spirit breaks completely, until they get a good look at the real Harvey Dent and all the heroic things he's done. <laughs> you didn't think I'd... Risk losing the battle for Gotham's soul in a fistfight with you. No, you need an ace in the hole. Mine's Harvey. What did you do? I took Gotham's white knight and I brought him down to our level. It wasn't hard. You see, madness, as you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. End scene. 
um, just dialogue like this that's very present throughout this film and especially through Heath Ledger's performance is just so memorable and this this movie is just so deep in so many ways and just so grand and just overall it's just a fun action drama piece with comic book characters in it and that's why I think nothing has touched it since and there are people that are arguing this to this day and I welcome those debates but when you come to me, if I say The Dark Knight's the greatest movie ever and you say it never was or the movie's just mid, I dare you to expand more on that. You know, you know, it's okay to use some dialogue there and not just simple words to just try to make yourself sound cool or, or be against the grain because there's only, I can name maybe five people that I've met in my life that don't like this movie. For a majority, this is like the top comic book movie it's the top batman movie maybe not batman performance but batman movie it's pretty high up there on people's lists so when i come across those people that are like ah this movie was just whatever expand on that have that conversation with me i welcome that but if you're just going to tell me that it's mid or that it never was like that good like i'm really gonna you know i'm gonna turn the other way because it's not really worth it if you're not going to expand on that and that's The Dark Knight, folks, 15 years later. I'm glad I got to do this podcast. I want to do one every five years and celebrate this. I mean, I celebrate it all the time, but maybe next time when I do the 20-year anniversary in 2028, I'll I'll have a roundtable discussion, which is what I ri- originally wanted to do for the 10-year anniversary. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in it and our relationship continues throughout the years and we're still friends and, and all that stuff, um, yeah, I definitely welcome that as a possibility come 2028 but for now we're celebrating 50 years 15 years and i'm glad i got to do this pod uh my relationship with this movie is just it's it's so grand and i'm so honored to have been just at at my prime years early and young in my and you know just in my work career and all that to experience all of this in person and i'll never forget it and it's one of the best movie going experiences you will ever have if you've never seen it uh rent it buy it you know stream it uh you know if you're still like a buyer of physical media and if you have like a 4k player even a blu-ray player buy this movie i'm telling you visually it still holds up and it's one to see and one that i still show people whenever they're like Oh, well, what's your home system like? Or, ah, what's, what's so great about 4K? And like, it doesn't look that much different than like DVD. I put this on for them and everybody's always floored when they see it. So it's still the one to beat. Um, it's still the one to aspire to, um, in the 21st century. And it's just one of the greatest films ever made. And I'm, I'm happy that it exists and I'm happy that it continues to just grow in its legacy and seeing all the stuff on social media today. Nobody's forgotten the dark night and I don't think we will for a very, very long time. So thank you very much. Uh, I got another episode later this week. I got to talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. A couple of movies that I've still seen that I need to review and talk about. And there's a lot of stuff going on and not trending in the right direction as far as Hollywood goes. But still movies coming out. And then of course... Christopher Nolan's next feature, Oppenheimer, I'm going to be watching this weekend in a double feature along with Barbie. So there's a lot of fun stuff in the coming weeks ahead here on Palace Off the Top Rope. But thank you for joining me on this special episode of The Dark Knight. And remember, why so serious? Take care.
Why is he running, Dad? Because we have to chase him. Okay, we're going in! Go, go! Move! <laughs>